Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. And you can dance. For inspiration. Come on. Good morning and welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans, plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, Please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Flow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and CIPIC, and Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. Here we are, close to the end of January. And it's cold and sunny. Two opposites there. It was zero degrees at my place this morning and even chillier because of the wind. But the sun is out. And this is when the snowbird head south for a few months. But uh, the COVID situation is, continues to alter a lot of those plans this year. Now... Some will have to be content with the memories of the beaches and the warm weather until maybe next year. But a lot of people are still taking a chance and heading for the south. Just thinking about it should help us escape the feeling of the cabin fever as the days grow colder and shorter. And while we're stuck inside, we can concentrate on our financial plans. Things like insurance for ourselves, insurance for the house, liability insurance, retirement plans, estate planning, and what basically what's happening in the turbulent stock market this week. This week, global equities were mixed but positive. In the U.S., all three major stock indices 
ended the week positive after three down weeks. In the UK, the FTSE 100 was barely up, while the German DAC and the stock York 600 were down for the Eurozone. In Asia, uh, Japan's Nikkei 225 and China's Shanghai Composite were both down for the week. On Friday, the three major stock indices closed at the Dow Jones at 34,725.47. It was up 1.34% for the week. The Standard and Poor closed at 4,431.5. So it was up uh, 0.77% for the week, almost uh, up eight tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ closed at 13,770.57. So it was barely up, but it was up one hundredth of one percent. The three U.S. stock indices had a rally on Friday after tumbling downward the whole week, but they're all down for the year. Hit down big time. In fact, if we take a look at the, um, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it's down 4.4% uh, since the start of the year. The Standard & Poor 500 is down uh, basically 7%, and the NASDAQ is down uh, approximately 12% for the uh, year so far. And uh, if you, and the good, the good news is, <laughs> good news is that the downward slide seems to have plateaued if only for one week. So if I take a look at what the Dow, uh, the uh, Standard & Poor 500 has been doing uh, since January 1st, uh, the first week after the start of the new year, it was down 1.9%. Uh, the second week, it was down 2.2%. The third week, it was down 7.7%. And here we are in the fourth week, it was down 7%. Uh, so, and the story is similar to the uh, the Dow. The Dow went down the first week. It went down uh, about one uh, about uh, 0.3 percent. Next week it went down 1.2 percent. Next week it went down 4.6 percent. And this week it can it's at 4.4 percent. So uh, the markets are down, and the question is why? What's happening here? And even as the U.S. is facing strong headwinds from different directions, it is still a very, very strong economy. When we took a, take a look at the real gross domestic product for the fourth quarter, it increased 6.9% uh, at an annual rate in, in the fourth quarter. And the real gross domestic product for 2021 increased 5.7%. Uh, for the entire year. So we're used to seeing numbers anywhere from 1.5% to 2%, but uh, the numbers like 6.9% and 5.7% are way over the top. And uh, talking about the headwinds facing the economy, we've got the uh, COVID uh, Omicron uh, variant, uh, that pet pandemic, We've got the increasing inflation, and we also have the supply uh, supply chain chaos. And hopefully, all three of these uh, will dissipate with time. 
And uh, regarding the Omicron uh, pandemic, uh, the good news is that the confirmed cases appear to be peaked, uh, appear to have peaked nationally and are falling. For just the United States, the United States, the number of new cases uh, uh, yesterday came in at around 590,000 new cases. Uh, and uh, it's down uh, 27% over the last two weeks. And hospitalizations stand at 160,000, uh, and that's only increasing 1% over the last two weeks. And But the deaths are still rising, as expected, and they stand nationally at about 2,500 per day. If you take a look at Ohio, uh, the new cases uh, yesterday were about 14,000, and that's down 31% over the last week, and then uh, hospitalization stands at about 5,800, and that's decreasing at approximately 20% over the last two weeks. Now, the deaths stand at 180, and that will probably increase, but it still uh, appears that we're over the hump, and uh, different sources suggest that the pandemic could subside over the next two months allowing more uh, normal social activities uh, to resume. And uh, hopefully uh, there won't be another variant coming along, or at least if there is another variant, it'll be milder than this one. The supply chain, taking a look at the supply chain problem, uh, there's still a headwind, but progress, a lot of progress has been made. A significant portion of the fourth quarter uh, GDP growth uh, was in the buildup in inventories and supplies in the distributing centers and things of this nature. So, uh, in the one of the things we'll talk about this week is the Federal Reserve and what they intend to do. And basically, what they intend to do is slow the economy down uh, to reduce the uh, inflation. And uh, in doing that. Uh, that will be an automatic uh, help to the supply chains because uh, one of the problems with the supply chains is that uh, uh, it's basically overworked or the demand has overwhelmed the supply uh, together. With, and the, the, the Omicron is, is part of that too, but uh, it's being asked to do more than it has done in the past. So, if the economy slows down a little bit, that'll be good for the supply chain problem. And that leaves us the increasing uh, inflation problem with the headwind. And, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Federal Reserve addressed its uh, uh, problem of the inflation at a Federal Open Market Committee meeting this Tuesday and Wednesday. And the, uh, uh, the stock market if you take a look at over the last uh, the last month, the stock market started to develop the jitters in the first week in uh, January after the minutes of the Federal Reserve meeting in uh, December of uh, 14th and 15th of uh, December. They were they released the minutes in the first week of this year, and those minutes mentioned that the Federal Reserve might also begin selling off bonds from a huge uh, almost $9 trillion balance sheet. Uh, before these minutes appeared, 
investors knew that the Federal Reserve planned to uh, gradually end their bond buying in March and then start to raise interest rates. But the scenario at that time in uh, early January was, well, they're going to wrap up their bond buying and then maybe in June or July they're going to start to increase their uh, interest rates. Uh, but uh, the the unmentioned bond rally, uh, the bond uh, uh, selling, uh, suddenly became very scary in the early part of this uh, month. Uh, but on Wednesday, uh, when the Federal Reserve uh, made the public announcement of what they decided to do in their meeting, uh, there was a real glimpse of the Federal Reserve's plan, and it's a fairly aggressive plan. So uh, this week, the Federal Reserve meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday, the Federal Reserve signaled it would begin steadily increasing interest rates in mid-March. So needless to say, they're not going to wait till June or August. They're going to start it almost as soon as the uh, bond buying operation stops in early March. Federal Chairman uh, Jerome Powell said Wednesday that the central bank was ready to raise interest rates at its March 15th, 16th meeting and could continue to lift them faster than it did during the past decade. So he said that uh, this is going to be a year in which we uh, uh, in which we move steadily away from the very highly accommodative monetary policy. This is a quote that we put in place to deal with the economic effects of the pandemic. So at the end of the free money, uh, Mr. Powell said that left the door open for raising rates at consecutive uh, policy measure meetings, uh, which are generally hold, held every six weeks. And that uh, is something that the Fed hasn't done since 2006. He's, what he's saying there is that every meeting, every six weeks, they hold a meeting of the FO the Federal Open Market Committee meeting, and uh, they could raise the rates at every meeting. So he said, quote, I don't think it's po uh, possible to say exactly how this is going to go, unquote. Earlier he said, uh, quote, I think there's quite a bit of room to raise interest rates without threatening uh, the labor market. Uh, the central bank also approved one final round of uh, asset purchases which will bring the uh, stimulus program, this bond-buying operation, to a conclusion in early March. Uh, officials uh, continued deliberation on their two-day meeting over how and when to, to shrink the $9 trillion uh, securities portfolio, which has more than doubled since March of 2020. So Mr. Powell indicated that the Federal Reserve would again opt for Passively unwinding its asset holdings on a what they what he called a telegraph uh, schedule after uh, officials had uh, started to raise the rates, and this would allow the uh, a process which the Fed no where the Fed no longer reinvests the the proceeds of the maturing maturing securities into new ones to operate, uh, quote, sort of in the background. So the idea being that uh, 
there are bonds in that, uh, that they basically the uh, balance sheet of the Federal Reserve consists of mostly uh, uh, treasury bonds and also mortgage-backed securities from Fannie and Freddie, uh, approximately $5.7 trillion of treasuries and I think two-point-something of uh, mortgage-backed securities. And they're basically going to they they are basically short maturity uh, bonds, and you're going to allow them to uh, mature and cash them in, and uh, not spend that money on buying any new bonds. So that's what they up till now they've been as the bonds mature, they've been buying new bonds with them to keep that money. Uh, uh, where they want it, but now they're going to just uh, let the uh, the uh, bonds that are in the balance sheet roll off. So, Mr. Powell said, uh, 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 no longer reinvest the proceeds of maturing securities into new ones. To kind of uh, he'll use that as a background uh, task. And Mr. Powell said, as a result, adjustments of the short term. Benchmark interest rates, the federal funds rate, will remain the primary way. The officials respond to changes in the economic uh, uh, economic outlook. And previously, uh, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, had changed course in uh, November and said that the central bank was concerned that inflation might become entrenched, and that set in motion this. Uh, uh, policy shift that has been ramp- rapid by uh, federal standards, given its preference to move slowly to avoid uh, whipsaw in the market. So what's concerning the Federal Reserve right now is that um, uh, one of the major concerns is that uh, labor costs and uh, the cost for wages and benefits has gone up approximately 4% in the last year. So they're afraid of... Uh, uh, the wages getting to a point where uh, it will be difficult to um, constant increase in wages uh, as well as rents could push the uh, inflation higher and keep inflation elevated even after we clear up these bottlenecks in uh, the supply chains. So basically the Federal Reserve plan consists of uh, uh, they're going to complete their bond buying operation by early March. They start uh, raising the federal funds rate in mid-March, uh, maybe by one quarter steps. That's what their preference has been in the past, but maybe even one half a percent uh, steps, uh, just to show that they're serious at the start. They're also going to begin to roll off a significant portion of their nine trillion dollar. Uh, uh, a hoard of uh, bonds by not reinvesting the money as the bonds mature. And all those three steps all uh, uh, are part of uh, tightening the credit markets and reducing the liquidity. So that's what the um, basically the stock market has been fearful about. And uh, the Federal Reserve basically has to be careful in doing this operation because uh, uh they've got a um they've got a real direction now uh to get this inflation down 
And uh, that's their primary target, and they feel that the economy is strong, so it can handle uh, what they're doing in terms of increasing rates, and also that the increasing rates uh, won't harm the labor market. So uh, that's a case where uh, that's a case where they they have a a, uh, a goal in mind and. Uh, Let's not hope they get they don't get too carried away with a goal because uh, if you recall the late seventies when inflation got up to something like fourteen or fifteen percent, uh, the thing that uh, stopped that particular wave of inflation was the uh, recession in uh, it was either nineteen eighty or nineteen eighty one where. Um, the Federal Reserve raised the interest rates something like 20% and uh, basically shut the economy down. So I'm pretty sure that's not in their plans right now. But when you've got this, uh, these three, uh, this three-pronged attack in terms of uh, increasing the uh, buying, increasing the selling, and increasing the interest rates, uh, uh, whatever the Federal Reserve does is not uh, doesn't become apparent in the economy uh, for several months. So there's a time lag in what they do today and when it really effectively appears in the economy. So uh, they have to take that into account, and I'm sure they will. They're experienced at this, but uh, uh, the thing we have to do <laughs> is to make sure that uh, they're doing the right thing and, and not becoming too enthusiastic about uh, uh, conquering inflation. Uh, the economy itself is in good shape. Uh, the earnings for the companies, uh, which the, the, uh, is, part, is the foundation of the stock market, is in reasonable shape. Uh, the uh, there might be a lot of uh, uh, high-flying stocks, uh, maybe in the in the uh, high-tech world, because uh, that's that's uh, basically how the high-tech world uh, uh, works. You've got uh, things like Microsoft and Apple and uh, Oracle and in companies that. Uh, are generating profits and have been generating profits for a long time. And then you have other companies that are much more vulnerable in the sense that they're trying to uh, increase their market share and take losses while they're doing it. And this uh, increase in the interest rate is definitely going to affect uh, those type of uh, uh, companies. So if you look at the economy, what you're seeing is people are buying houses, people are uh, building houses uh, and selling new construction. Uh, the personal uh, income is going up, and we'll talk about that later in the show. We're also talking about talking about uh, sales of new houses. We'll also take a look at consumer confidence and consumer sentiment, which are taking a beating during this uh uh, inflation and COVID and, and all the rest of the stuff. We'll also take a look at uh, durable goods orders 
and uh, the durable goods orders or one of those things that's uh, uh, affected by the uh, supply chains. Uh, you're seeing that, uh, maybe you're seeing that uh, people um, having to wait uh, several months for uh, refrigerators and furniture and things of this nature are turning their attention now to spending the money on on services, but uh, uh, the COVID is uh, slowing them down there. So, you know, we talk about the big things in, in, the, in the economy and try to sort out uh, how that's going to affect the economy and how the stock market is going to interpret uh, what is happening in the economy. So far, uh, the stock market uh, up until the end of the year has been uh, excellent in terms of being able to protect its earnings. Uh, costs have gone up to, like I mentioned before, a 4% increase in wages and benefits. Uh, uh, costs of raw materials and steel and everything else is going up. And the philosophy so far has been uh, pass it on to the next guy. And uh, uh, that's worked. Now, uh, certainly, this coming this year that we're in right now is not going to be as uh, uh, super as uh, last year. Uh, but uh, if we can get these uh, uh, headwinds out of the way, the Omicron and the uh, uh, inflation, uh, uh, we can make some real progress in uh, the uh, economy as well as the stock market this year. Now it turns to what do we do as individuals uh, in our particular plan, not the, the economy of the United States or the world, but our particular plan, how we've identified our goals and how uh, our goals and meeting our goals, uh, are they realistic? Uh, do Is our income... Uh, allow us to uh, siphon off a certain amount of money for each particular goal that we have and invest it so that uh, we can reach that goal in, you know, some cases five years in the future, other cases 30 years in the future. Uh, the, longer we, the longer we have to make the money work, the better. The sooner we start uh, to make the money work, the better. It's better then. And, and, uh, what we do is sit down and uh, take a look at uh, the goals. Uh, can they be achieved? What will it take to achieve them? What, what, what savings have to be set aside? What investments have to be made? And also, while all this is going on, protect ourselves from uh, things that we have no control over, with insurances and uh, uh, savings and, and uh uh, emergency funds and things of this nature. So that's just basically what we do uh, for our clients. And uh, uh, the idea here is that uh, when the when people know uh, what lies ahead, they have a plan, they have a roadmap, and people are much more confident to move forward and they're much more um, secure in knowing uh, that they have a plan and they can make decisions on on buying things. Do you want to 
Do you want to buy a new boat? Uh, what are you going to give up to uh, buy the boat? Are you going to give up the children's braces or the children's schooling? Uh, a fancier house, a newer house, or a vacation house? What's that going to take? Can you really afford it? What's the risk involved? Things of this nature. So those are the things that we as individuals, you know, have to take into account in our uh, micro uh, plans as opposed to what the world and the United States is is doing. So this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Flow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultant Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. It's 1-888-281-1110. Well, we talked, so far we've talked about uh, the jitters in the market, the volatility in the market, and uh, our assessment of what is what is causing it, uh, and uh, let's take a look. And uh, the, the overall assessment is that the uh, the market is strong uh, because the economy is strong. The economy is strong because we just uh, shoveled some uh, uh, five or six trillion dollars worth of stimulus into the economy with checks and loans and. And payments and unemployment benefits and uh, and the Federal Reserve has cut the interest rates and uh, made pumping money into the economy. Well, all that had a had a, a great effect. Um, some cases a bad effect in terms of what it's done to inflation, but it's overall it's it's uh, made the economy strong and. Uh, if you take a look at uh, new residential uh, home sales, uh, 
the market for new homes has been hot. The market for existing homes has been hot. Uh, I mentioned uh, last week or a week ago that uh, the existing homes market is so hot that the uh, 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 inventory is down to, I think, two months' worth of uh, supply. In other words, there just aren't enough houses out there uh, to uh, uh, to fulfill the needs of the people. And if you take a look at the new home construction, you also see that <clears throat> permits are, are um, up for 2021 versus 2020. Starts are up. But there are, are uh, there are uh, problems in uh, uh, home construction and home sales. Uh, for instance, like uh, for December, new single-family home construction and sales were uh, feeling some headwinds, but they're still up relative to the previous month, uh, but down relative to uh, uh, to December in uh, 2020. So sales in single-family homes uh, <clears throat> were up 11.9% in December above November sales, but they were also 14% lower uh, than December uh, of 2020. Well, two things happened there. One is that uh, December of 2020 was a good, really good uh um, sales, new home sales uh, time because people wanted to get out and buy new homes and uh, um, the COVID was driving people into uh, getting out of the city and into the suburbs. So, but the, if you take a look at the uh, uh, demand is strong, um, but the sales of the new homes in uh, 2021 it was down from 2020. I think there was something like 822,000 homes sold in 2020, and only 782, uh, 762,000 in uh, 2021. And there are major problems in home construction in the sense that uh, home builders are beset uh, by uh, uh, shortages of materials. And supplies, um, longer lead times, uh, spiking construction costs. I think construction costs are up something like close to 20% in the last two years. Uh, difficulties in hiring, projects are bogged down. Inventories for sale given are driven by homes that are still under construction and can't be completed due to the uh, shortages. Uh, if you take a look at the inventory of single-family homes for sale in all stages of construction, it's been surging throughout the uh, throughout 2021, and in December, uh, there were 403,000 uh, homes. Uh, that's up 58% from a year ago, and the highest level since uh, 2008. And this represents about a six months supply, but that doesn't, when they talk about six months supply in new construction, it isn't really what is comparable to existing home sales. For instance, this uh, uh, 403,000 homes 
basically 100, 101,000 of those are homes that have been uh, uh, sold, and uh, they haven't started construction on them yet. There's another 263,000 263, homes that are under construction, and there's another 39,000 in December that were completed, and those houses disappeared in no time. Uh, so the number of completed houses for sale has been bouncing along at record lows in all of 2021 as, as builders face shortages that pre- prevent them from completing the houses. They got shortages ranging from windows to appliances. And, but once houses are complete and, and ready to, to turn over to the new owner, uh, uh, they have sell very, very quickly. In December, 39,000 completed houses were for sale, and they disappeared fairly quickly. So uh, what you're seeing in the industry is the, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, supply chains are really hindering completing the houses in a timely fashion. And they've got all sorts of houses that are under construction and all sorts of houses that are have been sold already, but they haven't even started construction on them. And, of course, the price of the housing is, is going up. I think it, uh, the median price of the houses that were sold in December was uh, 300, I think it was $370,700. And uh, if you take a look at where the, uh, where the sales are, you notice that 32% of the sales of new homes are in the $300,000 to $400,000 class. And uh, if you're talking about uh, less than $200,000, only, that's only 1% of the uh, home sales, new home sales. If you're talking about two hundred to 300000 then that's 21%. And like I mentioned before, Three to four hundred thousand is uh, uh, thirty-two percent. Then, when you get above uh, four hundred thousand to five hundred thousand, it's nineteen percent. And then you get from five hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand. These are outrageous <laughs> numbers. You're talking that twenty percent of the houses that are new homes that are in that category. And if you're talking over seven hundred fifty thousand. And you're talking uh, at seven percent of the market in uh, uh, new uh, construction uh, single-family homes. So basically, what you're seeing is that a lot of people are being priced out of the uh, of the uh, home sales market. And what you're seeing is that the builders, uh, because of the supply chain problems and the other other problems. Uh, uh, lack of uh, lots, uh, improved lots, and things of this nature, and labor—they're uh, running into real problems in terms of getting these houses completed and sold. So, uh, sales are great, but you got to build the houses first, and in order to do that, you have to have a completed house that's ready to be sold. So, uh, this is Jim McAlee. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, you can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 
So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Jim, Sue gave us a call. She took your advice and gave us a call, and she's got a great question. She would like to know if there are maximums and minimum age limits for contributing to an IRA. Uh, let's see. The IRA age limits that once applied to traditional IRAs, uh, they've gone away. Prior to 2020, the maximum age limit for contributing to a traditional IRA was 70 and a half. But in uh, uh, the SECURE Act you know, that was passed in January, I think it was, of 2020, uh, there's no maximum age, and you can make a contribution to uh, to a traditional Roth uh, or traditional or Roth IRA. Uh, in the case of the Roth IRAs, there was no uh, age limit on those. So, uh, as of uh, for a traditional IRA, uh, there's uh, no maximum age now, and you can make a contribution as long as you have uh, taxable uh, income to support the. Uh, uh, contribution amount, the taxable income uh, compensation doesn't mean investment income. That means uh, uh, work income, you know, earned income in terms of non-investment type income. Uh, the Roth IRA, there is no upper limit, and uh, you can make a, a contribution either before or after that 2020. You still have to take into account. You still have to have a taxable compensation for both of those. And uh, um, there's no minimum or maximum age to roll over an account to an IRA or to make an IRA transfer. So no no age limit. You do have to have uh, earned income to do that. Uh, if you and the uh, other issue is if you're thinking about opening it for uh, the youngsters, uh, you can open an IRA at any age, but you again, you have to have some earned income. So when the kids get to be about, you know, 14, 15 years old, and they can do part-time jobs, uh, you can open an IRA and, and start contributing uh, for them. And uh, um, just keep in mind that it has to be a custodial custodial IRA account. So uh, uh, they have to have somebody there, uh, you or your your spouse, uh, to be the custodian for the IRA until they reach the minimum uh, uh, legal age, which is generally about 18. So uh, no age limits, uh, but you need compensation. 
So, Sue, if, if you have other questions, you can give us a call. The number here is 1-888-281-1110. Uh, let's look at um, some of the, the things that uh, uh, give strength to the economy. And, uh, uh, you know, spending, uh, they just came out with a report uh, from the Department of Commerce that talks about the uh, uh, income and the spending of uh, people during December. And uh, and what they're showing is that um, it slowed down in December as price increases, as price increased and uh, and the uh, uh, Omicron variant uh, people's ability to get the uh, products and services that they wanted to buy. So even while consumer spending decreased six-tenths of 1% or $95 billion uh, from November, consumer income had increased. So consumer income had increased... uh, uh, 70.7 billion or three tenths of one percent, but the consumer spending decreased uh, uh, six tenths of a percent, and that's according to the personal income and outlays report for December from the Department of Commerce. And the report uh, showed spending on goods fell 2.6 percent in December, and services rose a half of one percent. <clears throat> Part of the part of the thing uh, is that a lot of your uh, spending in goods uh, involves cars, and uh, basically one of the problems that the economy is having right now is this chip uh, problem, and uh, that isn't allowing the car production and the sales uh, that we're used to. So this 2.6 reduction in in sales for uh, goods is is uh, due to that car situation. Let's go to the phone. Hello, Jim McAuley. Uh, hi, hi, Jim. I got a question for you. In sure. the past, I have been running a real estate portfolio, self-managing my own real estate yep. holdings. Uh, that's mm-hmm. gone on for thirty years. Uh, at this point, I'm starting to build and rehab. Uh, obviously, the past has been passive income. Now, with mm-hmm. the uh, earned income on flips and building and so forth and so on, can I classify everything? Can I classify myself as a real estate professional first and uh, get everything under the aegis of being a uh, active, active uh, investor? Uh, so. Right now, so as of in the past, let's put it this way: uh, right now, you're you're rehabbing uh, a home. Is that correct? Correct, rehabbing and selling okay. them. Okay. So that is you're that classifies as earned income. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, certain the rehabbing uh, involves. Uh, uh, let's see. Do you? How do you pay yourself? Are you? Have you got some sort of an S corporation? Uh, I'm uh, just. 
just fi- filing for an LLC now. Okay. So you, you're going to have an LLC, and in that LLC, uh, uh, the company is going to make a certain amount of money, and it's going to pay you um, uh, a, uh, a W-2 for that uh, correct, correct. money. Correct. And also, if there's going to be a profit involved. Yes, you can. Yes. You can utilize both the profit as well as the uh, W-2 as their earned income. Okay. So if okay. I understand it correctly, by by filing an LLC and um, meshing them together, I can become a professional, and at that point, uh, all profits and losses are summed up and, uh, you know, figure taxable mm-hmm. from there. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. That's that's my interpretation. And uh, uh, what happens is in, in that particular interpretation, you set up your LLC, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's two tax forms you have to complete. Uh, one tax form is for the LLC, and uh, the other tax form is for your personal uh, income tax, and the LLC Understood. will essentially uh, uh, the, the one for the LLC will generate your uh, profit, and it will also and part of the development of the uh, that tax that tax form will be to pay. You know, you you I assume you're getting a wage uh, from the LLC from the corporation. Well, right? I. I mean, I haven't. I, I could take one, of course, but uh, I just leave it in the LLC. I don't need the money, but uh, I allow mm-hmm. it to accumulate in there and then go in and invest again. I'm semi-retired, uh, but mm-hmm. I go in and reinvest that money and try to avoid paying taxes on the capital gains as much as I can, offsetted by the uh, uh, rental properties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh one thing I, I, uh, I'm looking at it and I'm saying if you have an LLC, if you're paying yourself a wage out of the LLC, that's obviously uh, earned income. If you have a profit Correct. from the LLC itself uh, and you're active in that uh, development, that's earned income. Uh, so you, you should meet that criteria of earned income. Uh I checked with a tax professional, though, you know, because uh, we can't really uh, give tax advice. Uh, I, 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 understand, I understand that, I, I understand yeah. that. I wanted to first even see if it was in the parameters of uh, possibilities. Yeah. In other, words, in other words, you're going from becoming a passive investor in real estate now to becoming an active uh Correct investor and, and, and correct and active participant in this uh, Cor- uh, real correct estate. okay and All right. and I'd like to bring I'd like to bring the passive income over to the active so I can uh, receive the maximum tax deductions yeah uh, yeah you 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 will you probably going to have to talk to a tax accountant because. Uh, one of the things I see there is your, what you want to do in terms of flipping uh, the final product is to uh, use that uh, capital gains. 
Uh, sure, sure. In most, in most cases that I'm familiar with, it basically you're using your LLC to pay yourself. And uh, uh-huh. uh, this one, you're, you really want to segregate the, uh, the capital gains so that you can use the lower, uh, the 15 or 20 percent uh, capital gains tax. Okay? All right. Okay. I I Thanks, you. Jim. Take care. Bye. You take care. Bye-bye. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, this is a good question he proposed, um, you know, in terms of making sure uh, it's like in anything you're selling, uh, how are you selling it? You always want to be able to get that capital gain uh, category so that you're not uh, paying ordinary income taxes on uh, uh, on your uh, profit sense. So this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Low. Um, stay tuned. I'll be right back. Your host this morning, Jim McAleese, and uh, when I talked before, uh, uh, before our, our listener uh, called in, we were talking about uh, uh, personal income and personal outlays, and uh, what we were showing is that uh, uh, the personal outlays, uh, the, the, the buying has slowed down a little bit, uh, principally because. Uh, of uh, inflation. Inflation has been and running the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, has been running at 7% over the last 12 months. And the recently uh, reported uh, uh, personal consumption expenditure, which is the one that the Federal Reserve uses, uh, came in at 5.8. So both of these numbers are high numbers. And that, that's giving, giving the Federal Reserve the impetus to uh, increase those interest rates. Uh, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Bit Slow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. Let's talk about lessons in life. These, these life lessons are widely known from the highly popular column by Regina Britt, and they're called 45 Lessons Written by a 90-Year-Old. Then that was originally featured in the Plain Dealer years ago. And even though Eugene is not in her 90s, nevertheless, this Pulitzer Prize finalist had a wealth of knowledge and life lessons that you can, you would think she truly was in her 90s. Life's lesson number one is life is not fair, but it is still good. Number two, when in doubt, just take the next small step. And then, Life is too short not to enjoy it. Then, your job won't take care of you when you're sick. Your friends and family will, so find the time for them. Then, don't buy stuff that you don't need. And, think again when you're talking to people. You do not have to win every argument. Also, cry with somebody. It's more healing than crying alone. And it's okay to get angry with God. God can take it. And then, save for things that matter. 
And when it comes to chocolate, resistance is futile. Number 11, make peace with your past so that it doesn't screw up your present. And again, it's okay to let your children see you cry. Then another one is don't compare your life to others who have no idea of what their journey is all about. And then if a relationship has to be a secret, you shouldn't be in it. And everything can change in the blink of an eye, but don't worry, God never blinks. Also, take a deep breath, it calms the mind, and then get rid of everything that is not useful. Clutter weighs you down in many ways. Whatever does not, here's another word, whatever does not kill you really does make you stronger. It's just, it's just painful when it happens. It's never too late to be happy, but it's always up to you and to no one else. And then when it comes to going after what you love in life, don't take no for an answer. And then over-prepare and go with the flow. Be eccentric now. Don't wait for the old age to wear purple. And then believe in miracles. God loves you because God is, not because of anything you did or did not do. Don't audit life. Show up and make the most of it now. Growing up beats the alternative. Now and your children have only one childhood, make it eventful. All that, all that truly matters in the end is that you love. And accept. Envy is a waste of time. Accept what you have and don't think about what you need. The best is yet to come. Until we meet again next week for more Get Rich Slow, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.